Come on, give it up for the chapel downtown. Love you guys. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, men and women in Harp. Love you guys. You can be seated. Well, happy new year, everybody. Happy new year, everybody. Glad to have you with us. I add my welcome to the one that's already been given. Good morning, Chapel Scott's edition. Love what God's doing in the city. And uh, good morning to the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail. We love you guys. Love all God's doing in Harp. And uh, thinking of you, praying for you. Happy New Year. And uh, we got some exciting things coming up. Oh, oh, you're going all the way back to the beginning. That's good. Yeah. Um, we got some exciting things coming up in uh, just a few minutes. I'll, I'll tell you about that brand new series called Overcoming, not Breakthrough, but that's okay. Uh, Overcoming. But um, we're going to be in a series in the book of Nehemiah. But we have, uh, over the next uh, eight weeks, I want you to know, we'll be rolling out some new vision in our church, a new uh, two-year vision for our church of what's next for us. And so you're going to notice that we're going to be reaching out to you in different groups to have different meetings and vision nights. And so some of those are kicking off. And so if you got an email from us, that's what we're just beginning to do. Get uh, smaller groups of us and talk about that vision and unpack it together. And God's going to do some exciting new things in our church. So just be on the lookout for that. And then our vision nights are going to hit in uh, the first week of February. We're going to roll out what God's has for us. How many know God has some new things for us, right? And so we can't wait to roll those out. Um, but before we do any of that, I want you to let you know that today does start 21 days of prayer. Come on, 21 days of prayer. And so that means that uh, starting tomorrow morning, Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. prayer right in person in Midlothian. We'll be streaming it online as well, then 9 a.m. on Saturdays. And so I just wanted to say this because I know our production tech and worship team, they, they start rolling into church all the week of prayer at 545 and I'm just so thankful for their commitment to help create a place of worship. Can we give them appreciation today? For, uh, but I want to let you know just about a couple of resources. If you go on the website, there's resources there. But it can be sometimes hard to pray. And so we created these prayer guides for adults and kids that give you some kind of prayer uh, prayer exercises, some things to pray through. And we've got incredible ones for kids as well. So you can find those online. And if you also, I, I don't know, for some reason, I'm a guy when I pray, I like paper paper Bible, paper, paper journal. So if you're me, we have those at the next step. We have a, a a personal prayer guide for adults as well as one for kids. I don't know. I need a paper Bible. I even light a candle at home. I got a little Catholic in me. And, uh, uh, but, uh, so we, we can't wait to start, um, 21 days of prayer. And it's, it's really a way of just saying before we rush into this year, we really need the Lord. Hey, before we rush into this year, we really need the Lord, don't we? And so uh, we, we're going to give our first uh, start of the year, a tithe of the year in prayer. So we'll be back here tomorrow morning, uh, 7 a.m., uh, rounding out 21 days of prayer. Well, we're launching a brand new series today called Overcoming. Huh? How many know we got some stuff to overcome in our world right now, don't we? And uh, we're going to go uh, verse by verse through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah came acro across God's people had their walls broken down, and they, they needed God to rebuild some things. We're going to trust God over the next few weeks to rebuild some things in our lives that have been broken and to put them back together again. How many got at least one area to improve in? Come on, that you could build in a little, right? And so we're going we're gonna to trust the Lord with those things. And, you know, I'm aware that as life lives, I think we leave areas of brokenness and we, we saw them once as broken, but we become so used to them, we don't even deal with them anymore. 
And uh, I can think of like a human example of this. And those of you under 20 will, will not know anything that I'm talking about. But there was a day when I was a kid that when you had a TV, it sat right on the floor. It was like an armoire. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, it was just like a whole thing, like a big wooden, this just TV. And uh, I remember, I remember my family got a new TV and it was, it was a smaller one. And my dad said, well, take the TV that's in the basement out. And I said, well, it's like 400 pounds. What do you mean? Take it out. It's like a whole thing. It's like a couch, you know. Uh, how many know the kind of TVs I'm talking about? Just And so I, I did what I probably shouldn't have done. I said, this is perfect. I'll put the new TV on top of the old TV. Has anybody ever done anything like that? Come on. Confession is good for the soul. And, uh, and, and I, I thought I'll just leave it that way for a few days till I have a friend over. And then six months, and I just left it that way. In fact, I had friends over and they're like, do both TVs work? And I was like, no, shut up, bro. You know, like, don't be talking to me like that. But I, I think it's true in our life that we, we sometimes see things that need to be adjusted in our life, but we become used to them. And we almost, we know they shouldn't quite be that way, but we almost don't see it anymore. We get just so busy in our life. There's an area of brokenness relationally or spiritually or a part of our life financially or our heart or a, a grudge or bitterness or whatever it is. And we just start to nurse that area of brokenness. And if we're not careful, we almost don't see it anymore. We almost like, like, yeah, I kind of know it's there, but I've just, I got used to living that way. And, and I'm going to believe God that over these next few weeks, as we go through the book of Nehemiah, God's going to take some of these broken things and he's going to rebuild them and he's going to fix them. And I, I think we're going to have stories of God putting things in our life the right way. How many want that for your life, right? So, so let's dive in the book of Nehemiah. It, it, it really is a great book and there's so much in Nehemiah. We're going to look at, at leadership lessons, how to influence people. It teaches us how to overcome discouragement and accusation and, and uh, when you don't have inertia. and I mean, all the things of, of uh, leadership that are in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is also a great book because Nehemiah is a businessman and, and God uses him in a great way. How many know God uses all of us in our spheres of influence? I hear certain people say, well, some people are in the ministry. How many know wherever God's people are is a ministry at your work, in your school? Can I get an amen to that? Right? Like, like God's put us there. And Nehemiah was a cupbearer and we don't know much what that means, but in the ancient world, it meant that before the king uh, ate the food or drank the wine, he had somebody taste it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Aren't you glad you don't have that job? So Nehemiah would drink the wine and take the first few bites of the food and then the king would just watch him. And if he didn't drop dead, the king knew the food wasn't poison and he'd eat it. And, and, and so it was actually a very trusted position, incredibly influential. Yet Nehemiah would get very close to the Persian king and very influential in his life. And, and uh, it, it's really incredible, the influence. And, and Nehemiah, though, he's far away. He's not with his homeland in Israel and he sends message to find out how things are going back in Jerusalem. And that's where the book begins. He gets this message. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble. And, and they're in disgrace. Things are not the way they should be. How many feel that that's the world right now? Trouble, disgrace, pain. The wall of Jerusalem is, is broken down. And its gates have been burned with fire. They describe the situation as broken. And man, that's how this world feels right now, broken, doesn't it? And, 
And Nehemiah is going to hear this message. Actually, verse 4 says he actually cries. He breaks down and weeps as he starts to pray. And he goes to God and he says, God, the world is so broken and your city is so broken. But you you got to have more for us than just this. And he starts calling out to God and God's about to turn the situation around. How many of you have shed some tears in the last year or two, right? Like, this ain't the way it's supposed to be. And how, how is this? And when is it? And why? And what? And and all of that. And, and yet God works in broken places. So let's talk about how he helps us overcome brokenness. I'll, do, I'll give you three or four points. Here's the first one today. If we're going to be healed and, and rebuilt, we can't pretend we have to acknowledge reality, right? I mean, no, the, the first job of leadership is to assess where you really are, right? I, I, I was talking to one of my kids about how their grades were and they, they said pretty good. And then I went on student view and they didn't look so good. And they said, well, it feels to me, they feel better than that. I said, well, I, I don't know how this works, but it doesn't really matter how you feel after the test. I was just glad, and she's just brimming with confidence. She took the test, nailed it. No, you didn't. But how many are just grateful for confidence? And uh, I need some of that in my life. Uh, but if we're ever going to let God rebuild some things in our life, we can't just pretend. we got to acknowledge reality. Uh, Nehemiah has to deal with the fact this city, its walls are broken down. It is not the way it's designed to be. And in the ancient world, walls were extremely important. Because a wall, without a wall around a city in the ancient world would make that city open to attack. It could be, it could be overtaken by any foreign invading army. And so they were vulnerable to attack and not only that, it says not only were the walls burnt down, you read it, but the gates were destroyed. The gates, we think of like a little gate that opens, but that's not what it was in the ancient world. A gate would actually be a maze of benches and meeting places. It's where the elders of the city and those would do business and, and, and uh, matters would be settled in court. It was a picture of a functional kind of a, a place of business. And so not only was the, the city vulnerable to attack from the outside, but the function of making decisions was destroyed. And it was in a place of brokenness. And, you know, I think that's what happens when brokenness hits our life. We're not living the function that God has for us, and we're vulnerable to what to what to what uh, the enemy wants to do in our life. But the good news is, if we'll acknowledge reality, God can fix broken things. I said, if we'll acknowledge reality, God can fix broken things. I wonder if I got any broken people in the room today. Come on, oh, I don't. Uh, they're all online. Okay, they're all perfect here. But like, like all of us know what it's like to be broken. I think it's important that we, we, we acknowledge reality. You see, God can't work with what we prefer to be. He can only work with what we are. And Nehemiah has to acknowledge, the people have to acknowledge, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. God has more for us, and they have to be open to God changing it. And I wonder if you and I, some of us, we just become so comfortable with our own brokenness that we settle in there. And I feel like God's calling us in this series to say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. God has more for us. He wants to lift us to higher and stronger and more mature and, and, and passionate faith in him. He wants to restore relationally and give us purpose in our workplace and in our schools. He wants us to acknowledge reality. This is broken but then he's going to say i'm not going to leave it that way i'm going to i'm going to rebuild it okay come on turn to the person next to you and tell him he's going to rebuild it come on just tell him that today he's going to he's going to rebuild it the second thing we see here 
in this story is that not only can't we, we, we can't slow down, we have to slow down before we speed up. Nehemiah doesn't get a plan. Now, if I was Nehemiah, it'd be like, all right, we need to get some estimates for how long it cost, how much it costs to refix these walls. And who, who knows how to call someone or, or put out a message on Facebook. Does anybody know any, any contractors in town that are good at fixing walls, right? Like, but I want you to see the first thing he does is he slows down before he speeds up and he goes to a place of prayer. In fact, the Bible says the whole book begins in the month of Kislev. This is December. How many miss Kislev already? Don't you love December? I love December. I don't know about you. I think about mid-January to mid-February is not my favorite uh, time of year. Of course, Valentine's Day is, Katie. It's my favorite. But other than that, uh, how many miss some Kislev, right? So, so in, 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 the problem seen in Kislev, he doesn't do anything till four months later in the month of Nisan. So literally for four months, Nehemiah, before he does anything, spends four months in prayer. And I want you to know why, because when we hook up with God and we connect into his power and when we pray first, God gives us divine enablement and with God, half the time is more effective than without God, us doing everything on our own. The reason we start every year with a couple weeks of, of prayer and fasting, other pastors have said, why don't you start your groups right, right away? Why don't you? Because we take the first few weeks to say, God, we don't want to rush into this new year. We need your presence and your power in our lives. How many need that, right? And it's, it's a reminder that Nehemiah doesn't, he doesn't just get his plan and work his plan yet. He's gonna in chapter two. But when he finds out the problem, his heart is broken and he goes to a place of prayer. And there's something about communicating with God personally and relationally in prayer, in prayer that literally turns our pain into a pathway for prayer. And that's what Nehemiah will do. Four months. We're gonna look at his prayer in a second, but. For four months, he prays. And he doesn't get the building committee yet. And he doesn't move out. And he doesn't head on his way. And he doesn't create the team. He doesn't make the plan. He's going to do all that eventually. He's going to teach us how to influence people and how to build teams and how to overcome opposition. But before he does that, he gets the spiritual right. How many know before we get everything else right, we got to get the spiritual right in our life? And he gets himself communicating in prayer. He, he unloads his pain as a pathway to prayer. I heard a story a few weeks ago about a boy who really wanted a bike for Christmas. And his mom said, why don't you write a note to Jesus and pray and see if God will, will help you answer your prayer. And so he sat down in his bedroom and he wrote a note to Jesus. Jesus, he said, you know, I've been good all year and I really want a bike for Christmas and he realized, man, that's a lie. And so he ripped it up. And so he wrote a new prayer to Jesus. Jesus, I, I promise you this next year, if you give me a bike for Christmas, I won't tease my sister. I won't be mean to her. I'll, I'll, I'll be totally good this whole next year. And he just thought, I won't do that. And he ripped it up again. And he thought, I'm just not getting a bike for Christmas. And so he's walking around downtown. He walks by a nativity scene and he sees the, the, the scene there and he gets an idea and he gets a blanket and he sneaks up behind the statue of Mary and he throws it over her and he scoops up the statue of Mary and he takes Mary home into his bedroom and slides the statue of Mary under his bed and he sits down and writes one more letter and he says, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, give me a bike. Here's the third thing we got to do. We got to learn how to pray God's way. 
How many know you can pray the wrong way? How many know you can pray the wrong way, right? And Nehemiah goes to God in prayer, but he doesn't just pray. He has a pattern to his praying. I'm really convinced. I want to teach us for just a couple moments in the middle of this message how to pray the right way. Because you can pray the wrong way. You can just worry in God's direction. I want to teach us God's word on how to pray. And so here's how Nehemiah, it shows us right in this chapter how to pray. Here's how he starts his prayer. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, I want you to see the first thing he does is start with the greatness of God and not the greatness of his problem. Don't you love that? He could have started with, oh God, have you heard? The walls are the walls and the people don't care and the world's bad and it's going to get worse. And oh, have you heard? Have you heard God? There's a new variant. Have you heard? He could have written anything there, right? But in the middle of this, he starts with the greatness of God. I want to encourage us in our praying not to start with the greatness of our problems, but with the greatness of our God, right? Jesus taught us to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Before I get to my my will and your, your daily bread, all that kind of stuff, I need to get to glorifying. How many know when you praise God and not your problems, it puts your prayers in perspective? When you start with your problems, you can just, man, if I just start with prayer, I'm going to just start with, oh, no, I'm not going to start with the greatness of God. I'm going to start my prayers with all the problems. How many know you will be a depressed prayer? And I'm really convinced that one of the reasons people don't like to pray is they've been taught prayer the wrong way, and they've been in prayer meetings that are the wrong way. I tell you, I grew up in prayer meetings where we used to hold hands. I hated holding hands. I'm just telling you, I never wanted to hold hands. I mean, you're in a circle and you're like, I don't want to hold. They're like, you're going to hold hands. And you kind of, I would look around like, where do I want to go? That's the person. And I I grew up, you know, in a school where they would, they would, they would squeeze your hand when it was your turn to pray. You remember that? You ever had that? Squeeze your hand. And then by the time it come to me, everyone had prayed everything that I was going to pray. So I'd just squeeze the next person's hand. Like, I'm done, you know. Or like somber prayer meetings. You ever been a part of those? Mm. And I'm convinced one of the reasons we don't like to pray is we've been in bad prayer settings. One of the things we try to do in 21 days of prayer is get people to, to praise and to worship and to walk and to communicate and not just to be... Hey, when we enter into prayer, the first thing we do is we enter into it with praise, right? How many know we have a great and awesome God to start this year? He's seated on a throne. He has a purpose and a plan. He's at work in our world and he deserves praise. Anybody believe that today, right? So he starts with praise. And then he, then he realizes, hey, I got to be real in this. And he moves to repentance. He says, I'm not going to put on a mask and pretend I have it all together. This is part of, I think, phony praying. It's when we try to impress other people or ourselves before God as if God can't already see who we are. And, and Nehemiah, I want you to see this. He starts with radical repentance He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. He doesn't just blame the other people. He says, I also am in need. Do you know who needs the most out of these next three weeks of prayer? You. Not somebody else. Me. How many need something from the Lord to start this year, right? Right? Like I'm not going to prayer to fix everybody else. 
I'm going to prayer. I'm going to prayer to confess my own needs. Believe me, I love, I love making prayer lists. I'm a, I'm a, those of you that know me, I love making lists. Lists are one of my favorite things to do. If I made a list of favorite things that I like, I, lists would be on my list of favorite things. Made a list, started making a list of things I needed to change this year. Started making a list of things Katie needed to change this year. Pray for just wisdom when to share that. And uh, I'm just telling you, it's about it's about what do I need to change? It's not about kicking the, the, the punting to somebody else, pushing off Nehemiah. Nehemiah doesn't even live in the city where the people are. He could have said, God, your people back in the city haven't done the right thing. But he, he says, I'm in need of prayer. And let me tell you, a healthy church, a vibrant church, a passionate church is a church full of people who say, I'm praying that I, my heart, my life might grow. Anybody got something you can grow in in 2022, right? And you say, I'm willing to repent, lay it down, let God change me, right? I'm willing to be transformed. Praise and repentance. And I want you to see this third thing because I think this is really the one that we miss out with the most and it's, and it's boldness. I think we are praying sometimes too weak of prayers. God, if you, I hate to interrupt you and I know you got a lot going on up there. Would you, would you mind, you know, <laughs> How many know the Bible says Jesus died on a cross to invite us into the presence of God, right? And so the Bible says, Hebrews, that we can enter boldly into the throne of grace to find, find uh, a mercy and grace in time of need. Look what Nehemiah does. Remember the instruction you gave your servant to Moses. Do you know Nehemiah reminds God of his promises? Is it okay to remind God about things? Do you know God actually loves to be reminded about his promises? Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. God, you said if you're unfaithful, if I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, God, you said I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They're your servants, God and your people. Look at this. God, these people, hey, they're your people, your servants. You redeemed them, your problem. Hey, God, I'm reminding you of some things you better do. How many know God loves to be reminded, right? In fact, you know there are 3,000 promises in the Bible. And one of the things I think we miss is simply in prayer, claiming the promises, the, the, the blessings, the identity, and the inheritance God has for us. You know what I just realized coming through Christmas? They say, one of the secrets to retail is that gift cards are so effective because a large percentage of gift cards are not redeemed. $5.8 billion, I read this week, of gift cards are not redeemed every year. Watch this, watch this. How many of you have ever not redeemed a gift card? You either let it expire or look at this, look at this. Can you believe this? I still have a gift card to Graffiato and they're out of business. I'm not throwing it out in case they come back because I want to be ready, okay? I mean, gift cards, right? The, 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 people haven't, have something that they don't access. Oh, how many believers have access to promises from God that we haven't accessed and identified and inherited? I heard a story about a family a couple of years ago on a cruise and they, uh, it was their first cruise ever 
And they couldn't believe that right next to the pool was all this free food. And so they were getting tacos and pizza at this little pool stand. And they thought that was the entire setup for food on the cruise. On the last day of the cruise, they realized that also with their with their uh, uh, access to the ship, they had access to an entire floor, a dining room, that they did not know about the food. And they had just been sitting near the pool like, man, these tacos are good, but that's a lot of tacos, you know. And they, they literally said, we couldn't believe it when we realized we had had access to an entire floor of a restaurant that we didn't even know about and never took advantage of. Oh, how many followers of Jesus have access to so much that they have not even even redeemed. And Nehemiah comes along and he reminds God of his promises. Do you remember God when you told Moses you would do this? So God, you're gonna do what you do. God loves to be reminded. In fact, in that little prayer guide, you'll find if you grab one of them today, you'll find there's a whole section that just prays to God, his word back to him. Part of prayer is just praying to God back his word and saying, God, you said this. God, you said you'd supply all my needs. God, you said I didn't have to worry. God, you said you'd go before me. God, you said you can heal disease. God, you said you can forgive. God, you said you gave me my kids and you can save them. How many know part of prayer is reminding God of what he's promised us? Or, or I love this definition. Prayer is just is, is communicating with God and confronting the enemy. That's what it is. It's not only praying to God and communicating with him. It's confronting the work of the enemy in our world and standing against it and saying, God, you have a plan for me and I stand against the evil plan. Now, I want to show you how this chapter ends and, and next week is going to be so good because we're going to get to see how to influence people. So if you ever, if you want to grow and how to, how many know part of life is learning to be influential with other people, right? We're going to learn how Nehemiah skillfully influences the king but I want you to see this last thing and then we'll close today. This last thing in chapter one is Nehemiah lives with an expectant disposition. Nehemiah lives with an expectant disposition. And I, I want you to know as I was preparing for this weekend's message, this was one that I thought is under attack right now in our world. I think, I think that what's happened is over the last couple of years, we've been so beaten down by the constancy of life's challenges that some of us have seen the year 2022 and we're like, oh, we, we don't even know how to hope again or dream again or have an expectation for anything good. How many have felt like you know, how many know you don't turn on the news, you, know, you never turn on the news and they're like, great news today. It's gonna be awesome. And, and I think because of that, there's an expectation in our heart that faith has been overwhelming. I wanna, I wanna kind of give us a little, little in, injection of God's word to close our time together. Here's how Nehemiah ends his prayer. So Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Then he says, I'm gonna do something about it. And give your servant what? success today by granting him favor in the presence of the king. So he's going to go ask the king and he's asking for God's favor. What favor is, is it's, is it's uh, God's kindness. It's God's goodness. It's, it's, it's God's graciousness that pushes and works things through oh how we need God's favor and he says before I move into this I'm just I have an expectation 
that you're going to do something. Hey, friends, I have an expectation that God's going to do something in your life, in your family, in our world. I have an expectation that God's using things that we hate to establish things that we love. I have an expectation that God's bringing brokenness in our life to rebuild and revive and restore a passionate church that loves and serves him. And Nehemiah says, I have an expectation that God's going to do something. So grant me success. And what he's going to do, I want you to see this, is he's going to be willing to lay down his job, influential job as cupbearer, and he's going to risk his whole life, not for his own kingdom, but for God's kingdom. Do you know people that really go after God care about not just our own kingdom, but God's kingdom, don't we? We were, Katie and I were at a, on a ministry trip this past summer, and we were flying back from Texas, and Man, I love getting put in the exit row. Anybody love the exit row? Extra leg room. Ooh. But then the flight attendant always, they come in to tell you the extra responsibility of the exit row. You know that? So I had my AirPods in. The flight attendant came and said, now in case of emergency, you'll have to help all these people off this plane. Are you willing to accept the responsibility of the exit row? And I went, yep. And then I got to thinking, have I really accepted the responsibility of the exit row. And I thought to myself, if this plane really goes down and it's in a ball of fire and that little inflatable slide comes out and I can see, ooh, I just slide down that to safety. Would I really stay in here with these 300 crazy people? And so I started to wonder, man, maybe I should give up my exit seat. Maybe I haven't really accepted the responsibility of this. And I thought, no, I, I, I don't know if I would. And then I thought, well, that'd be terrible in the newspaper, wouldn't it? Like only one person survived the crash. Pastor in charge of helping other people out the exit row. And I'm like, dude, I just, I was just in it for me. And uh, you know what I'm convinced? I'm convinced if we're not careful, some of us have we're just in the exit row for the comfort, not for the responsibility, right? That we only think of our own success and not the success of God's kingdom. Let me tell you what prayer does. It redefines our definitions of success. It's not just about more money or influence or cooler stuff. It's about sons and daughters, knowing, loving, trusting, and treasuring Jesus. It's about the kingdom of God spreading in our community and around the world. It's about people loving, cherishing, and trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. And what it starts to do is wean us off of our own definitions of success into what God cares about for success. Or I put it this way here's what success is to me it's just caring about what God cares about that's what success is to me it's just caring about what God cares about that I'm willing to say no 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 like Nehemiah I'm willing to be inconvenienced and moved out and have a different uh, a different rhythm I'm, will, I'm willing to let my preferences go to make a Nehemiah says Lord so grant me success and what he's about to ask for is nothing about him. And it's all about God's kingdom. And, and that's what prayer does. It starts to help us not just pray about the kingdoms of this world, but the kingdoms of our God and king, right? And Nehemiah goes boldly, passionately, trusting God in his brokenness. But he does it all through a season of waiting. That's what we're entering into for the next 21 days. Tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., online, in person. It's us saying before we rush into this year, we need God's presence 
and his power in our life to rebuild some things and repair some things and restore some things in our life. And hey, I believe he's going to do it. I have expectation at the end of these couple of weeks that we're going to we're going to give praise to God for what he's doing. I got an email December 28th from a family in our church who uh, came to the Christmas Eve services. We had great Christmas services. And, and they had had a family member in from out of town that they had been sharing their faith with, but a family member came to, to church on uh, Christmas Eve. And the day after Christmas, started talking about something that happened during the Christmas service. Talk to me about that. That conversation actually led to a decision point where this family member placed their faith in Jesus. The person who emailed me said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. The greatest thing I got this Christmas was a member of my family that I prayed for for so long. Now trusts and treasures Jesus. How I many know that's what real success is? It's not about another thing around the tree. It's not about in a sweater you got. It's somebody's life was transformed. And Nehemiah says, it's not just about me. It's not just about the cupbearer. It's not just about the king. It's about God rebuilding, restoring, and repairing things. And he can do that in our life. He can do that in our life, but it's important for us to say, that TV's been there too long. I see it. I'm not pretending it's not. And God, I give you permission over the next few weeks to help me train, uh, change and transform me from the inside out that you might make me who you've called me to be. Would you bow your heads with me today? Let's pray to today together. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure where you're at in a relationship with God or in Scott's Edition Chapel online. Maybe you're one of the men and women at Harp in the prison today. And man, it's the first Sunday that some of us are in person. So today, I'd love to be a day. It could be a day where you not only have a new year, but a new start. If you're here today and you're not sure you have a relationship with Jesus, I won't embarrass you. I won't ask you to get out of your seat. But if that's you today, would you just raise your hand and put it right back down and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure I have a relationship with Jesus. And today, I want to give my life to him. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand up and put it right back down and say, pray for me today. I want to give my life to Jesus. Yes, thank you. Are there others here today? I'm not certain of where I'm at in a relationship with Jesus. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. I'm not certain. Online, that's you. Yeah, thank you. I see that. In the Chesterfield County Jail, Scott's Edition, wherever you are, the Bible is the story of Jesus being broken so that we who are broken might be made whole. So today I'm going to pray for us. And if you pray this prayer in your heart, God will hear it and he'll... Uh, give you a brand new start. So God, today we confess we're broken. We repent of our sin. We don't make excuses, God. We don't point the finger. We don't say it's somebody else. God, we need you. But today we're so thankful that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again to give us new life. So today we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Would you save us today? God, would you restore us would you repair us? Would you give us new life? You promised to help us be born anew, born again. So today, would you do that? Taking away all our sin and giving us a new start. Today, we claim you as our Lord and Savior of our life and pledge to follow you by your grace and mercy all the days of our life. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Chapel, several people did that in this room and every week online. Come on, let's tell them welcome to the family of God. Come on, let's tell them welcome to the family of God. Come on, let's stand together.